here and compare me to the great one. Um, I'm just going to read that passage just to get us like our mindset on just where we're at here. We've been hearing it a lot, but we just got to keep hearing it. Um, it's in Galatians 5, um, 16 to 25. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, and an enemy, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So today we're going to look at kindness. That's where we're at. Um, First, I just want to give a little background of what's going on here, if you haven't caught on yet, in the Church of Galatia. Um, Paul was there on his first missionary journey, and unlike a lot of different letters from Paul, he doesn't waste a ton of time here warming up the crowd with, hey, I miss you, I'm coming back, or thanks for what you're doing, or thanks for the gifts. This is known as Paul's angry letter. He's a little bit angry when he writes this one. Um, so he goes right into in chapter 1 to the rights he has as an apostle to teach, because what he planted and taught there was truth. Um, in, verse, uh, in chapter 6, he actually confirms that he wrote this with his own hand. I'm not sure if that was normal at that time or if they had a scribe, but he was very clear that he said, look, I'm writing this with my own hand. He was very angry. We're going to see why. Um, and like uh, many other letters of Paul in the New Testament, we see this constant battle of our carnality versus the Spirit of God and what he's trying to do in us. Um, we'll go back to chapter 3. Um, you can see Paul's tone. It kind of gives it a brief kind of into his anger. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed and crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? So you can see that Paul is kind of wound up here. And he also brings up the occasion where he called out Peter for he was eating with the Gentiles. And then as soon as the high up Jews come in, Peter kind of scrambled and left them alone because he was kind of embarrassed to be around the the Jews, but what we've seen with Christ do was he brought the two groups together, and Paul wants to make that clear that that's the only way, not through the law. So for the Jews there, it was easier for them to go back to the law. So we have to understand the application of what's going on here. Um, there's a mixture of Jews and Gentiles in this city, and throw a third element in, people that are high teachers in Judaism, or they're bringing back um, laws of the flesh and trying to add it on to the gospel that Paul preached there about only Jesus' salvation. They, they were bringing back the fact that you had to be circumcised, even if you were an adult, to be saved and all this other stuff. And they were making it more complicated than what we had, it had to be. And that's why Paul was so angry, because he knew a lot about Judaism. He was one of the best. So um, we'll see that in um, chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Um, it says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless 
elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. And verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 kind of builds on that. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So it's easy to be hypocritical here, but it's human nature to go back to the things that we once knew or were confident in. Um, Stephen Ray and I met and had a little discussion, and one of the things that we talked about was, you know, in 1865 when the Civil War ended and the slaves were freed, and they're like, they don't know what to do. So they just went back to their masters, and their masters would say, you're free, go. And they'd say, you're our master. You tell us what to do. Like, they couldn't grasp that. It's human nature to want to go back to what you know. You see it a lot with kids. You know, they're 18 years old. They're like, I'm moving out of this town. This place is terrible, you know. And 10 years later, you bump into them at the grocery store, and they're like, well, I came back, you know. Things are cheaper here. And, um, people that go to jail are going to have, you know, you see the, it's like, how could they ever want to go back? But it happens. Um, it's human nature to go back to what we know and who we were before. And, and we do the same thing as Christians. Um, we often have that same mentality. We go back to what we know, which is our flesh, before we knew Christ. We think we can fix it. We'll get it. Um, let me see here. We focus on what feels good and not what is good. And even at times we take advantage of misusing our freedoms in Christ that God gives us. Um, we got to remember that when we became Christians, you lay down your rights. It's hard to accept that, I know. But we find ourselves trying to hold on to those rights all the time for peace and security inside of us. And it's really not what the Bible talks about. Um, if we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24... We're told this, to put off your old self, which belonged to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through its deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, and true righteousness and holiness. Um, we were talking in life group about this one time, and Tracy brought this up, and I don't know if it was a quote she heard one time or not, but it, 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 it's, it's stuck with me ever since. We were talking about how hard it is and how we, we always want to go back to who we were before and she said, I heard it said somewhere one time that a man will spend his whole life trying to fix his old self instead of focusing on the new that Christ has put in him. Doesn't that make a lot of sense? We focus on trying to fix the old. Christ wants to make us new. It's a wrestling match because we, we put confidence in our flesh that we can do it on our own. So if we look at Galatians uh, 5.22, he gives us a list of fruit that the Holy Spirit works through us uh, as a byproduct of knowing Christ. I'm putting the wrong book here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against things, these things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So when we really break this passage down right here. Um, what instantly came to my mind was how we teach our kids this passage. You know, I have kids, so I see all aspects of the YouTube videos and stuff that we use, and um, sometimes they make it out to be kind of silly, and, you know, the different fruits are individual things and good behaviors that bring us to God, which that's not at all what this is talking about. Um, first, you have to realize there's, there's I, I was guilty of saying, I always say the fruits of the Spirit. There's no S on the end of fruit. It's just fruit of the Spirit. Why? I think when we put an S at the end of it, we, we tend to individualize each one of these things as, as almost if they're 
they're characteristics that we can do on our own or more of like a spiritual gift. Like, well, I have uh, patience, but I'm just not really good at loving other people or God gave me goodness, but boy, I'm just terrible with self-control. That's what happens when you put an S on the end of them. And it's one thing, it's the fruit of Christ working through you, not fruits, different individual behaviors. And we can't do these on our own strength. And um, we're going to look at the book of John. There's going to be three passages in there that really pulls us all together. Um, we're going to go to chapter 15 and do verse 16 first. John 15, 16. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and pointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit shall, should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Some versions say fruit that will last, um, but the whole point of this is he's the one that we bear fruit through, and if we want to bear fruit, it's all about abiding in Christ. That's really what the passage in Galatians is going back to as, as a foundation. Um, so when we look at the fruits of the Spirit, I think there's great significance as well in how they're listed out. Um, joy, love, joy, love first, joy, peace. Now, why, you, know, you see those listed first before the more outward traits. I think there's a reason for that. Um, it just kind of echoes 1 Corinthians 13 and things like that where if we don't have love, we can't really do anything else. We have to have God's love. Um, the outward things are more the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness that come after we have love and joy. Um, that happens in our hearts first. Um, so let's move down to verse 12, same chapter of John. This is my commandment that you love one another. So first and foremost, Jesus says to love God and love, love each other. We can't do anything right unless we get that part right. And we, if we look at verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So there's that third element of the fruits of the Spirit, joy. So Jesus lists these three things in close order in John chapter 15. And again, I think unless we get these three things right, um, we have to have that in our heart before we can do the outward things. Um, so God, is God kind? Do you guys think God's kind? I mean, do we think about that often? Or do we just think maybe he's not fair enough? Or well, Let's look and see what um, the scripture says about God's kindness. Um, book, the book of Romans, uh, chapter 2, verse... Two four. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So we see right there that God is kind with us first. He's patient. He's kind. He draws our hearts towards him. He opens our eyes. And he wants us to repent and follow him. It's the Lord's will that every man would come to him. Um, let's go to chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. Romans 5, 6 to 10. While, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows us his love in us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we now have been justified by his blood, 
how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? So we see that God is the initiator, right? We can learn a lot from God and how kind he is. He initiates our relationship with him. It was his blood that was shed for us um, that justifies us and makes us right. God is clear that it's not our righteousness alone. It's his only. Um, and he, he does the work and provides the way. That's the kindness of our God. Um, and we can be reconciled to him. That means brought back into relationship, a healthy relationship. Um, he restores the brokenness, the broken relationship between us and him. And instead of the wrath of God, he calls us sons and daughters. We really don't deserve that. God's really kind. I don't know about you, but I know that for me. Um, so God's kind, and we'll look at one more scripture on that, Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, oh, I missed one. So that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So we see it, God is merciful. He's good. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Um, he saves us from death for eternal punishment. He saves us. And he's also love. God is love. He offers grace, um, taking us by the hand, even when we think that we can do it on our own. We, we've been dead in our trespasses, and he gives us new life with a purpose. He's very kind. So, if you're like me, sometimes you, you question what you see in the world, which is normal. Um, I ever wonder why people that oppose God, and they even could be an atheist, completely disagree with his existence, why they're still here. Why does God allow people to be who they are? I was just watching a YouTube blip last night with a big atheist guy at a debate he was in, um, Hitchens or Hutchins or whatever. He says he's fully confident that there is no God and God's not good. Majorly disagree with the guy. But um, So why, why is God like that? I mean, it, Luke 6.35 says, But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. In reward, your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Isn't that interesting, that God's even kind to the people who hate him? We all get what we, what we don't deserve. Um, and we look through the Bible, and we see this repetitive pattern of this. God was kind to Noah and his family. He saved them. He saved Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah because of Abraham's prayers. He saved Jonah when he was disobedient, and Jonah jumped off the ship, and a big fish came and swallowed him. He didn't have to do that. And here's the one that really hits home with me is he still loved Peter, even after he denied him three times. God's merciful. He's so much more kind than our human hearts can even fathom, or none of us would be here or make it a single day in our lives. He's merciful beyond measure. And I think we can take kindness because it's an attribute of God and we can kind of look at it and break it down a little bit 
And just some things we see in the Bible are generosity, humility, uh, forgiveness and merciful, um, being a good listener, meek, hospitable, and caring. Um, and we see things that oppose God too, like in 1 Corinthians it says, love is kind, because um, we, we can measure these things of kindness, and, um, but it also says it's not rude, it's not rude. And James 1.20 says, for the man who does not produce the kind of righteousness that God is after, a man, sorry, for the anger of man does not produce the kind of righteousness that a, of God. So, how do you define kindness biblically? Like, what do you, you know, I think the best way I've seen it put was um, kindness is the act of putting compassion into action. Like, there has to be an action with the compassion of what's going on in our hearts. Um, and giving it to people that don't deserve it. Um, I had a little spell this, this year. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail just because I don't, but I had a really bad experience at a local business. I mean, really bad. It's still ongoing. Just absolute poor workmanship on their part, and just I had to babysit the whole, like, it just was bad, and it's still ongoing. Um, it's hard for me not to get angry and throw those fits of anger that it talks about in Galatians, but I was driving there the one day, and I just thought, you know, God's been merciful to me. What if... What if he treated me that way every time I did something stupid? <laughs> so, um, and it's cool how God works things out, too, because the last time I called and talked to them, the person that had really been, I kind of knew in my mind was causing the issues, was let go. I don't like to see anybody get fired, but they needed to be. So God takes care of all that stuff if we just give it to him. We don't have to try to control everything. It's embarrassing to me, too, whenever I see like, Christians in a local business or whatever business like throwing a fit because they didn't get what they wanted or their steak's a little pink, pinker than they wanted or something like that. We can't be like that. That's what the world does. And it's just really embarrassing when you're out and you see Christians acting like that. Um, at least I think it is. Um, I've seen it before, demanding stuff for free because something wasn't right. That's not for us to do. Just don't go back. That's what I always do. Um, and I think humility is a huge part and you have to be humble to be like that. And, and God's God teaches that through his kindness. Um, probably the most, one of the most humbling examples I've ever seen in my life was, uh, this is a long time ago, I was working on a house in Ridgeway. I was laid off. I worked at the brick plant at the time, and I was working for an electrician. Big, giant Victorian house, and this guy was just sinking so much money into this place. It was crazy, fixing it up, making it back to the original. It was built in the 1800s. And he would come there every Friday and pay me cash, and he would always say, is that enough? Can I give you some more? I'm like, no, I'm good. You know, you're... More than generous, you know, and he was very kind. And uh, I said, what do, you, what do you do for a living? Because obviously he had money. He was building this big, giant thing, and he bought two other houses down the street. And he said, oh, I work at the powdered metal factory down the road, you know. And I said, what do you do there? And he said, well, I do a little bit of management and stuff, but, you know, at least two days a week I, I run the lathe and the mill down there. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm in the wrong profession here, you know. And so the guy I was working for, I said to him, I said, Boy, Dave, I said, he, he seems to be doing very well for himself for just working in a powdered metal factory. And he said, Rudy, he owns the place. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dave had a lot of money, but he didn't, he didn't show it. He didn't. He was very humble. He just told me he worked there, and he told me he ran the machinery. And he said, yeah, he did. He, he said he would do that to show his employees that he was one of them. He would go out on the floor and run machinery. So that's just an example of how humility can really mean something to somebody. Um, so, how about us as a church? And um, let's look at Galatians 6.10. It 
It's kind of where Paul's wrapping up there. He leaves this comment with us to think about. He says, um, so then, as we have the opportunity, let us... So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. So he's talking about us together. We should be being kind to each other. That's something else, you know, if you see other Christians not being kind, that's really not a good example for anybody that might come in here and want to be part of this. Um, But you see it all the time, and you just have to be humble. And um, If we can't get it right there, though, it's going to be really hard to get it right outside of here because we have something in common. Um, so how we monk, live this out amongst each other is important to God. Um, I'd say one of the hardest ones are how, how do you live it out whenever someone has a 180 degree different thought on things as you politically or whatever in this world. How do you still be kind to them? It's hard. We need God's help there. Um, and what about people who aren't kind or don't believe in God? We looked at that earlier um, with Luke 6.35 that God still... He still loves them, and he still is merciful to them every day, um, so we have to be as well. And um, I, it's hard because you have people say, well, what about people that are kind that aren't Christians? Yeah, there are people that are kind that aren't Christians. Um, and, then, and then we try to play the game of, well, why would God ever condemn them then if they were nice people? Or it, it's, You get these questions asked all the time. Um, I'm going to look at Romans 119. 1.19 to 22. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are out without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And in Romans 2, 4, and 5, we already did 4, but this is the second part of it. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of God's judgment. God's fair with us. We, you see it all the time that people deny God's existence. And here's the danger in this when we say, well, that guy was a really good guy. Uh, are, you sure, are you sure he's not with God? There is absolute danger in that because... If we do that and say God's not fair, we instantly put ourselves back under the law and put confidence in our flesh. If our moral behavior can dictate our relationship with God, we're in bad shape. Um, And that's what Paul's really angry about here in Galatians 6 is they're putting things of the flesh back into the works of grace. Um, God is kind even to those who don't love him, but we can't cheapen it up. I mean, I think the world cheapens up with words like friendly, nice, good person, um, I brought this t-shirt along. I don't know. This is a little silly. It doesn't fit me, by the way. <laughs> Grandma, you might have bought this for Evelyn. I don't know. But it says, be happy. If it were only that easy, right? That we could, you see the bumper stickers all the time and stuff that say, like, be kind. Don't be a jerk. Be happy. Probably get them at Target. But um, so is it really that easy? No. And if we could, like I said, if we could base our on our moral behavior, we wouldn't need God. If we could just be happy and be joyful. 
and be loving. We can love one another, but who said it? Christ, right? Um, but the Spirit does not cheapen up our walk with God. Um, Galatians 5.16 tells us to walk by the Spirit. 5.18 says be led by the Spirit. 5.25 says live by the Spirit. And 5.25 again says be in step with the Spirit. Um, God will though and show us his way if we're willing to deny ourselves and follow him. He's going to make us more humble. He's going to make you an initiator. You're going to go to the person first. You're not going to wait for someone to love you first. You're going to be kind. Um, he's going to show us how merciful and gracious he is and caring because this is who he is. Um, he knows our flesh is weak. Um, and I, you think about the flesh and what, what is the flesh when you hear it in the Bible. Um, so God made us the way we are. And we taste, we feel, we smell, we see with our eyes. And all this stuff goes through these receptors. And I don't, I'm not a scientist, believe it or not. It goes, goes into your brain and it has to be processed. And emotions come out and actions come out. That's what the flesh is. And you mix a prideful, sinful nature with that that we're born with. And it's a recipe for a need for God. Um, I want to look at 1 John uh, 2, 15 to 17. Okay, 1 John 2, yeah, 15 to 17. This is a warning. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And really those three things you see in there, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, are going to be the things that you're going to be battling against your whole life. Um, every testimony is really the same. It's different, but it's the same. We once walked in the flesh. We struggled with this. We got broken enough to come to God. It's those three things. I mean, I, I think that even if you look at the temptation of Jesus in the desert, uh, Satan tempted him with three things. Those three things kind of fall right into those categories. So if he did it to Jesus, he's going to do it to us. We have to know the enemy and what his plan is. Um, he tried to lie to Jesus. He said, he gave him doubt. You know, if you're God's son, he instantly tried to get him to doubt who he was. And our flesh will lie to us sometimes and say, you know what, I'm probably not good enough or I'm not. Um, but the enemy, wants, he wants to use our weaknesses against us and God wants to use them to show his power through us. We're almost done here. Uh, Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, and, and enemy strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions, enemy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. And I warn you, as before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So why did Paul put this in there before he put the fruits that God gives us through his spirit? Because he knows that our flesh is weak, and we're always going to go back to it for strength. We, it's a false sense of security. And you see it all the time. I think probably the number, I was just talking, to, I've been talking to a lot of people about this, you know, like the parable of the sower. I constantly see people excited about Jesus. They, they come to Jesus and they're just excited. And it's like two weeks later, where did they go? You know, how could that happen? How could you be tears in your eyes and hands up in the air and all of a sudden just kind of pull away from everything? But 
I think that's the more normal thing than, than the one that's planted in the solid ground. Um, and I, I think you see more and more of that. It's all because of the world's desires. John, we just read it in John, the things that draw us away and tempt us because we want to please our flesh. Um, our flesh is weak and God's strong, and Paul wrote about this. I'm going to wrap up here with this scripture. Paul really drives it home here um, to show the weakness of the flesh. Uh, Romans 7, 15 through 25. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do, not, for I do what I want, but I do everything I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do is, is not what I want. I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be the law that when I do what is right, evil is close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that am I, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flat law but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. It's kind of complicated, but you see Paul expressing weakness in the flesh. And if we put any confidence in our morality or goodness of our flesh, we fall back under the law. Um, but because God's kind, he takes us and makes us alive in Christ. Um, and Derek touched on this a little bit at the end of his sermon too. God's gave us everything we need to walk in the spirit. Um, he's gave us the full armor of God and and. It's our fault we don't put it on every morning and, and walk in his ways. So the battle is won already. It isn't ours. It's, uh, Christ has already been victorious. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just thank you that you, you give us what we need, God. Um, then you're not the one that tempts us, Lord. But, um, and you won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle, God. But we constantly find ourselves running back to that old man at times to, to, to find security and peace and try to relive our old freedoms that we once had, Lord, and, and take advantage of the freedoms that you give us. God, I just pray that you would strengthen each and every one of us here, Lord, that, um, that believes in you, God, that, um, that we would listen to the spirit, that, uh, your small voice, Lord, and not, not the things around us, that we wouldn't get caught up in the things of the world, but, Lord, that we would get caught up in the things that you want us to do. And I just pray for those here, Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't believe, God, that you're working in their heart, God, that you would... Um, just give them um, just the strength to stand, Lord, for you. And um, you're, they're welcome to come talk to me or anybody else here if they're willing to do that, Lord. Uh, we just thank you for all that you're doing. In Christ's name, amen. God's kindness to us this morning. So if you want to go ahead and stand up, and let's do that together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.
The sun. 